All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And free agency is basically over, but there still is a ton to talk about. You know, we weren't able to address every single team, and moves were still being made after we published the last episode. So let's just jump right into it with some news that broke today. Uh, former Lakers player Dennis Schroeder has signed with the Boston Celtics on a one-year, $5.9 million contract. This is obviously a huge decrease from, you know, the potential extension that the Lakers are going to offer him, which was $84 million over four years, meaning he would get $21 million a year. So what are your thoughts on Dennis Schroeder and the way his free agency played out, Hunter? You know, this is going to go down as one of the most legendary, like, slip-up free agency moves of all time. Like, <laughs> this man seriously declined guaranteed money that would last his family, like gen- generational money kind of kind of deal we're talking here. Oh, yeah. And he just went, nah, I think I can get more. And then proceeded to go like zero for 16 in the NBA, uh, like no, not the NBA finals, so I'm missing the first round of the playoffs. You know, yeah. like he just proceeded to uh, do the opposite of ball out. He just completely flopped. It was kind of funny as a Laker fan, just being like, we completely dodged this bullet. But, you know, if you're Dennis Schroeder, you're just in shock. Like, I don't think you can even, like, be mad at yourself here. I think you're just completely in, like, shock, like, just disbelief as to what you just did. A hundred percent. It just – it's going to be crazy. This is going to be a historic bag fumble, as you were saying, that we're going to look back upon and just be like, wow, what – how do you mess this up this badly? It's like one of those moments where people tell you, you know, you got to bet on yourself. But we always talk about the stories where you bet on yourself and it, you succeed, like the Isaiah Thomas story. But this is going to be one of those times where you bet on yourself and you fail, you flop, and you end up losing out on like $80 million. <laughs> so Jesus, yeah, that's just crazy. And can you imagine how different the Lakers would have looked this season if Schroeder had accepted that extension and we would be paying him $21 million this year? Yeah, I mean – most likely the Lakers would try to look for trade offers, but with a contract like that on the, on the player whose value had significantly decreased in that year, you're probably looking at a, a really mediocre trade at best. You're definitely not going to get Russell Westbrook. Um, that's a guarantee. And your rotation is probably going to be a lot weaker and you're looking more like a, a second round accent than, a, than the favorite to win the title. So, yeah. and um, um, I mean, it just goes to show that, Schroeder's value has tanked so much since last season. Think of how hot a commodity was after his season with the OKC Thunder, where he was in the running for six man of the year. He was, when the Lakers picked him up, all the Lakers fans and people around the league were like, that's a great move. You know, he's going to really help this team. And he was, he was a guy who was looked at as like, he could be a really, really good starting point guard for you. But now Teams weren't even willing to throw him any sort of contract until today, August 10th. And he was just sitting there unsigned without a contract for this long, whereas a bunch of other players had already been signed. So I, get, I think that just shows how far his stock has fallen since, you know, we saw him in OKC. Yeah, I mean, I also want to take a second here, aside from Dennis Schroeder, to talk about the Boston Celtics and what they've done this offseason. Kind of... Definitely one of the L's of this season's uh, just in general. I mean, look at all the teams, and the Celtics were definitely on the losing end. They give away Kemba, 
uh, and you a figure that they're going to make some moves there, opened up their slot for a point guard. A lot of people were speculating maybe Damian Lillard was a potential option. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you end up with Dennis Schroeder here. Um, so do you think the Celtics have done anything at all in the positive direction? Like, how do you think this helps them? And how do you think this helps them keep Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown happy? Well, okay, I'll say this. I think that they actually, like, we're all making fun of Dennis Schroeder, and I think rightly so. But for the Boston Celtics, this is kind of a steal of a signing. You know, you get a guy in Dennis Schroeder who was a six-man-of-the-year candidate a season ago for $6 million a year. You know, obviously it's a one-year deal, but still, that's a really, really good signing. And I think he's going to have a comeback season. And for a team like the Celtics, who are desperately needing a starting point guard, you know, before Schroeder, they were looking at, you know, Peyton Pritchard or a Chris Dunn to start for them at point guard. And you're not going to be making it past the first round if that's the case. But now you're looking at a potential starting lineup of Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams. Or Al Horford, if you want to start him at the five. And that's, yeah. a pretty, that's a pretty solid starting five. And then coming off the bench, you got Peyton Prichard, uh, Josh Richardson, Al Horford, or Robert Williams. I'm still not sure who they're going to start. Uh, and, and Ennis Cantor. So all things being considered, that's not terrible. Like, the starting five is really good. I just worry about the depth on this team. That's my big concern. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're probably going to end up with Robert Williams starting. I couldn't see Al Horford at the stage in his career being a large piece of this team. I can see him being in more of a uh, secondary center type of role where he's maybe getting 15 minutes a game, you know, especially in, in an 82 game season, you don't want this guy taking too much of a load. Uh, but yeah, I think here you got a uh, decent team at best. I, I think you're looking at a, a low seed in the playoffs I mean, especially with the East being so good this year, which is surprising considering usually the West is the stronger of the two uh, conferences. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the East is looking pretty tough this year. Honestly, I could see this team missing the playoffs, though. I mean, we saw what happened last year with Jalen Brown getting injured, and God knows if Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum get injured, this is a, a borderline lottery team, in my opinion. Like, you don't have anyone on this team who's really going to propel you besides those two. Uh, Marcus Smart is just more of a defensive anchor, and he's, he's really streaky on the offensive end. And then you just look at the depth on this team, and it's just pretty much non-existent. Like you said, Al Horford, at this stage in his career, I don't really see him being a huge component on this team. And then you're relying on guys like Josh Richardson, who had a really bad season in Dallas last year, and Peyton Pritchard, who's too young to really have a huge impact. And then we, we talk about Dennis Schroeder as being a good player, but he's not going to propel a team like this who has, who should have championship aspirations. Um, and then you're like looking down the ro- roster and as Cantor, like, come on, this is, this team is just, it's very top heavy. We'll put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in a, a, a league now that's just trending a lot more towards depth with uh, like a two or three kind of star team, just as like in, in general, the league gets better as a whole. This isn't going to cut it. I mean, I can really see them being back in that eight seed first round exit kind of position. And I'm curious what that means for the future of the team, which is really shocking because if you think back to two, three years ago, you looked at this team and you saw, especially with Jason Tatum, 
as a steal in the, the I believe, 2018 draft, right? I think, I believe it was 2018. Uh, 2017, I think. 2017, maybe it was a 2017 draft. But you looked at him as a steal in that draft, and you everybody thought the Celtics are going to be an issue within the next four or five years. But we're seeing the, the front office kind of just fumbled it. Oh, yeah. I mean, they definitely did fumble it. We look at this team and even going back like two years ago, you know, to that team that had Kyrie on it. We had Kyrie, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford. That is like such a stacked roster just in terms of talent. And to see all that talent leave in the front office, as you said, really fumble the talent on this team and not get anything in return. And now you're looking at a team that has two really, really quality star players in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But besides that, this roster is just so thin for talent that in a, in a East that's getting much better, much quicker, there's a very real possibility that the Celtics do not make the playoffs next season. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's not something a lot of people thought about like in the past few years. I think we always thought that the Celtics were going to be a team to be here for like a decade. I mean, I really thought that. Um, so let's probably just move on to the next. Oh, were you going to uh, yeah, say I something? Yeah, I say one last thing. We talk about this team as like a team that might not make the playoffs. This is a team that we were talking about a couple seasons ago as a, a championship contender. You know, they were up there with the Clevelands, with the Philadelphias as a team really battling for that Eastern Conference crown. And now they're a borderline playoff team. And I just don't see them like, I, I just don't see them improving that much anytime soon. So you have to wonder like, are they eventually, is, are the Celtics, if they continue with this mediocrity, are they going to eventually think about blowing it up? You know, could we see Jason Tatum in a different uniform a few seasons down the line? It's looking more and more possible, you know? Yeah, I mean, I haven't even really thought about that myself, but it's very possibly, maybe even probable that if this season they don't make it past the first round, that the, the Celtics will start to consider their options, especially having young guys like Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams being on the team who can, you know, provide some sort of value. Yeah, so definitely they have some value, but not enough – to compete for a real star in this league, like Damian Lillard, like we, he was in talks or uh, I mean, not really talks, but more so people were speculating the Celtics as a potential landing spot, but you have to wonder, like the Celtics don't really have that much to offer for a guy of Dame's caliber where teams like uh, Philadelphia, for example, have a guy like Ben Simmons, like very promising young players like Tyrese Maxey, and a bunch of draft capital to throw the Celtics, what they're going to package Robert Williams, Marcus Smart and Peyton Pritchard. I just, I just don't see it. Yeah, definitely. They'd have to have given up either Jalen Brown or Justin Tatum, which you know, the Celtics are not willing to do. At least uh, now. Yeah. Definitely. No, your season's down the line and this mediocrity continuing. Anything's on the table. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next team here, we've got the Wizards, which we did talk about a little bit, but, you know, we did see that there have been a few changes in the trade between the Lakers and 
the Lakers and the Wizards since we last talked about them. And it now became a five-team trade. Um, we can get into that a little bit later. But their biggest move is obviously the Lakers trade. But they've also acquired Spencer Dimwitty in this trade, which I believe is a five-team trade between the Heat, the Lakers, the Wizards, the Pacers, and the Nets. I believe those are the five teams involved in this trade. Um, yeah, but Spencer Dinwiddie was signed and got a sign and trade to the Wizards. So what are your initial thoughts on this trade for him, for Spencer Dinwiddie, and how does he fit into this roster? I mean, I think he fits in pretty well next to Bradley Beal. Obviously, he's going to be starting at point guard um, with Beal at the two. And I think you look at this as a, a very solid backcourt in the East. I don't know if it's going to be a – it's definitely not a championship-winning backcourt, but it, Spencer Dinwiddie, in his last healthy season – he was a 20 point per game scorer. He's a guy who has a good shot. You know, he draws free, he draws uh, free throws really well, draws fouls and gets to the free throw line very well. Um, and I think next to Bradley Beal, who is a guy who's really improved in that aspect of getting to the line and cashing those free throws in, he, it, it, this is a team that's really going to live at the line. Um, and I think that, you know, defensively, Spencer Dimity is not a bad defender, but he's not a particularly great one either. I think they're going to be fine on that end. Beal is a below average to average defender. Um, I think this fit is okay um, and is going to be good to give the Wizards a like playoff fighting chance, but I really don't see anything more than that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you here. I definitely think they honestly are more promising than the Celtics, which is kind of saying a lot about what the Celtics have really done. Uh, oh, I yeah. think that you're looking at a rotation, probably Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal, KCP, Rory Hachimura, and Daniel Gafford, which I'd say is an above average offensive team, but definitely lacking on that defensive end. I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, your only real form of defense here is KCP. And when KCP is the best defender on your team, that's not very uh, promising. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would ideally like to have some more more help on that end, but yeah, yeah. You know. But uh, I mean, the bench honestly is fairly solid. I mean, you're looking at Davis Bertans, Kyle Kuzma, Thomas Bryant, Montrez Harrell, and Denny Avdia. You have a pretty forward and center heavy bench and even starting lineup, but I think that they have a way to work that out. I'm assuming Kyle Kuzma would probably go back to the small forward position again this year. Uh, but look, I, I can see a lot more positives on this team than I can in the Celtics, like I said, which is saying a lot because I think they do have some like wild cards here, which is you have to see how Kyle Kuzma performs, how healthy is Spencer Dinwiddie going to be, how, you know, this cohes the cohesion on this team, how excited is Bradley Beal to play for the Wizards. There's a lot of things that on this team that I could see really just changing, you know, and they could end up being a six seed. Like, I could see that if they really played well together. Like, this just really worked off the bat. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up Bradley Beal because I think he really is the linchpin to this team. Um, you know, he's he confuses me a little bit. I think that the Wizards, they sort of missed their window uh, to trade Bradley Beal and get the most value from him. Um, but obviously, he's still going to have a lot of value, and they're still going to be able to – get a nice package if they want to trade him, but it doesn't look like Bradley Beal wants to at the moment. What do you, how do you think he's going to be on this team? Do you think this team is a, is a roster that he feels he can win with? 
Uh, do you think he just likes DC or do you think he's going to request a trade sometime throughout the season? I have to say with Bradley Beal, he seemed like a very loyal kind of guy, you know. There's very few guys left in the league like that. You can see Dame is one of them. But Bradley Beal has really stuck it out with the Wizards for his whole career. I want He was drafted to them. So I think that if this season results in a uh, like a lottery team, like they're not even in the playoffs, he'll request a trade. But I think if they get to the playoffs, I think we'll stay with them. I don't think that by the deadline we'll see Bradley be on a different team. I think that he will be on the Wizards this whole season. I have to agree with you, and I think that, honestly, the Wizards, they did a fairly decent job of making a roster good enough that Bradley Beals is just not going to immediately request a trade. You know, if they didn't sign Dinwiddie, if they didn't feel, if they hadn't drafted fairly well and gotten guys like Hachimura and Gafford and Avdia um, and, and Thomas Bryant, if they hadn't gotten those guys and filled out the roster, um, you know, maybe we're looking at a different scenario. But, yeah, I think as of now, Beal seems like a guy who wants to stay in D.C. Um, another thing I have with this roster construction is we're looking at three quality centers on this team with Montrez Harrell, Daniel Gafford, and Thomas Bryant. So how do you think the Wizards are going to make that work in the rotation? Do you think all of them are going to get playing time? Do you think they're going to uh, – like someone's going to be left out? What, what are you thinking? Yeah, I kind of pointed that out a little bit earlier, which is – you know, they're very center forward heavy. Um, these are all three quality guys. And I think that you're going to probably see Montrez Harrell be the one left in the dust again, honestly. Like, I know he wanted this. He got signed and traded to D.C. But actually, I'm gonna, sorry. I'm going to re- re- replace that statement because Montrez Harrell has to have some sort of deal with the Wizards that he's going to be getting a lot of playing time because he opted into be, being in D.C. So what he's saying here is he wants to get his bag because that's what he tried to do in the Lakers, but obviously didn't work for him. So for Montrez Harrell to be on this team, that means he has to be getting quality minutes to be showing what he can do considering that he opted into this. This isn't like a forced trade. You know what I'm saying here? So I think Montrez Harrell is kind of safe there. It's probably between Daniel Gafford and Thomas Bryant at that point. And Thomas Bryant was out all season with, I believe, an ACL injury. Maybe it was Achilles, or but one of those two. So I think he might end up being left in the dust here. I think it might end up being Thomas Bryant. Um, and one person you didn't mention, who's also a center on this team, who's making bank too, is Davis Bertans. Davis Bertans, I believe, is making $20 million a year. Oh, yeah. So how do you think – that's going to work. Obviously he's not going to fit on this team because it seems like they're putting their bets and centers more toward like traditional centers and like younger guys. So what, what do you think they're going to have to do with Davis Breton? I mean, Davis Breton's like, I don't know. He obviously, like you said, he, he got massively overpaid um, by the wizards. He's making 20 mil a year, which for a guy of his caliber who did not shoot the three ball well last season and really struggled from beyond the arc. Um, I think that the Wizards might look at making a deal and shipping him out because he doesn't fit on this team. Obviously, we've talked about in the rotation, the forward slash center uh, part of this team, the front court is just so deep and there's so many guys who deserve minutes that Bertans, who has not been shooting the ball well, 
is not a good defender and is making a ton of money really doesn't fit at all. And so I think that they would be best shipping him out, maybe getting a first round pick, something like that for him. Um, because even though he's overpaid, um, maybe in a different environment, Bertans can get back to his, uh, you know, 2020 form and just start cashing it in from beyond the arc. But yeah, I, I definitely think that the Wizards and Bertans deserve to, uh, to be separated, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to completely have to agree with you here. And the surprising thing is you haven't really seen any trade rumors regarding Davis Bertans. Uh, I know I was calling him Davis Bertans uh, until now, but I just realized what I was saying. So uh, excuse me. But yeah, with it, Davis Bertans, it, it's just been surprising to me. The Wizards haven't even really been shopping him around. They've kind of just been silent. So I'm really wondering what their plan is here because maybe they also want to play Davis Bertans to get his trade value up and trade him by the deadline since, you know, he's probably a little better than what he's been showing in the past six months or so. So maybe if they can get him some quality minutes, they can get him his trade value up and they can ship him out to somewhere and get a quality uh, wing player. That seems like it's what they need. Definitely. And I think that might be what we're seeing because as of now, his stock, similar to Schroeder, his stock is lower than it should be. Like, I think that people, he, he just had an off season and I expect him to be playing much better next season and to be shooting at a higher clip. Uh, so hopefully that, um, hopefully that means that the Wizards can move him because I think he, he is a player who could thrive in just a different environment, just not in this team. Um, yeah. Some additional questions because surprisingly, this Wizards roster is pretty rich with talent. Uh, obviously this year, the Wizards drafted Corey Kispert from Gonzaga uh, with the number 15 pick. He's your, you know, three and D type guy. And he's a, an older guy who, you know, is meant to really get a, um, is he, he's an older guy. So you try to draft him to make an immediate impact. So where is he going to fit in, in this rotation? And also another guy who played very well for the Wizards last year, Raul Neto, um, who was sort of the unsung hero of this team uh, in, in their playoff push last season. How is he going to fit in? And um, yeah, like w- what do you make of these two players? I'm glad you brought both these guys up because I think actually both of them fit in decently to this team. Because I think what you're going to end up seeing on this team is you're going to see the centers have the short end of the stick because the, the league is trending obviously more towards guard play, small ball, that kind of thing. And Corey Kisper, obviously you drafted at 15. And you drafted an older guy on purpose. They didn't just draft an old guy because they wanted, like, you know, to see development. They wanted to see a guy who was already ready to come into the league, win a win-now type of guy. That's that's what happens when you draft older guys. And yeah. he kind of fits their position that they needed perfectly, which is obviously a 3D guy. You look at this roster, and the only guy you have like that is KCP. Uh, so he's going to slide slide right into that, probably that, that bench role, that bench roll for KCP, or if they're going to be facing a wing heavy team like the Clippers or the Lakers, that like those kinds of teams that have a lot of wing depth, the, even the Celtics, you could be seeing both these guys getting a ton of minutes. And I think you could also be seeing Roll Neto. His role is going to definitely be smaller, but you'll see him take the uh, the role behind Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal a little bit, probably with Denny Avdia. I'm, I'm assuming. Denny Avdia is going to be getting more of those minutes than Real Neto, but you'll probably see him be playing maybe eight minutes a game. That would be my guess. 
I think that I honestly, like, I think I'm a little bit bigger on Raul Neto. I, I was really impressed by what he was showing us last season. He shot the ball really well. So I think he might have a bigger role because you look at this team and they really don't have a backup point guard in the traditional sense. Yeah, Danny Abdiak can play some like uh, some point forward, but I think Neto is going to get some quality minutes behind Dinwiddie, um, along with Avdia, who's going to who they're really going to share the uh, the bench ball handling responsibilities. Um, so, final question about this team: What do you expect? Like, there's so many X factors and so many unknowns, but what do you, what do you expect from this Wizards team? Yeah, like you just said, there's a million unknowns when you look at this team. Uh, I think all it all really lies on Bradley Beal when his the happiness and his willingness to compete this season. But if all goes well, I could really see them being a, a six, seven seed. Not much more than that, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree. This team's ceiling is the first round at best, and mm-hmm. their floor is the lottery, obviously. This team- uh, but I think their floor is like play in tournament. I don't even think their floor, you could say, is like out of that kind of range. I think that they're, they're going to be like the six to nine seed range. Fair enough. But I just, I mean, like, I, I think their floor, meaning like if they decide to ship out Bradley Beal and just say, all right, we're going to rebuild again. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them being back in the lottery. But I, I honestly don't expect that to happen. I expect Beal to finish the season uh, in a Wizards jersey, um, uh, barring some crazy event or some crazy circumstances. Um, moving on, though, to another team we sort of talked about but did make some additional moves after our episode, the New York Knicks. They've been pretty busy this offseason. Um, and the big news is that the Thunder have bought out Kemba Walker's contract and the Knicks signed Kemba for an $8 million one-year one deal. So what are your thoughts on this move? Do you, What do you think of Kemba Walker on this team? And do you think this is a good addition for the Knicks? Yeah, I'm honestly really excited for the Knicks this, this coming season. I think that Kemba is exactly what they needed. This is like the perfect addition for this team. It, it gives them a another veteran presence in, in the guard position, which can only help a guy like Emmanuel quickly improve as a player. And it also lightens the load on a little bit of an aging Derrick Rose. Because you saw this past postseason, their biggest issue was that everybody was underperforming except for Derrick Rose because Derrick Rose had been there before he knew how to handle it. Nobody else did. Getting Kemba on this team is going to give them a little bit of that. Like He's going to be their primary veteran presence, but they also have that secondary presence, uh, presence in Derrick Rose. So they're going to have like a dual presence being that kind of guy to mentor all of these younger players not even necessarily young guys, but inexperienced guys, because most of these guys have been losing guys their whole career. Mm. So these two are going to tell them how to play winning basketball and how to play under pressure and handle the pressure well, even though Kemba historically hasn't been handling the pressure too well in the playoffs. I think this is his time to shine. Yeah, I like I, I like what you said about him being a veteran presence on this young team, because we talked about last season how this team really has a nice mix of veteran and youth, but we saw that youth really not living up to the pressure of the playoffs, particularly guys like Julius Randle, who completely looked like night and day from his regular season. Um, And I think Kemba is really going to help this team because what they lacked, in my opinion, was just a shot creator and a shot maker. You know, Kemba's a guy who can get his own shot off and doesn't need help. 
And so when you have guys like Randall struggling, you just give the ball to Kemba and he can get you a bucket. And last season in the postseason, I think the Knicks were the worst scoring team in the entire postseason. I think he's definitely going to help with that. Um, barring injury, because that's one concern I do have. Kemba, his knees are made of jello apparently now and he can't <laughs> stay healthy. Um, but I think they got him on a really good deal. $8 million for a guy of Kemba's ceiling. You know, he at a ceiling, he's basically an all-star for $8 million. So I think that he's just really going to help this team, their shot making, and just add more depth to an already pretty deep team. Yeah, I mean, you look at this guard rotation, you talk about depth. You have Kemba Walker, Derek Rose, and Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly as your point guards. Then your shooting guard position, you have Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, and Alec Burks. So those are that's just your guards. So how do you think their guard depth, just let's talk about guards first, matches up to the rest of the East and even the entire NBA? Honestly, like this is one of the more solid uh, guard depths in the whole Eastern Conference, I got to say. You know, not many teams, ha- especially in the East, have this grade of guard depth. You know, they're pretty top heavy, most of the, the teams in the East. Like, let's look at the championship Milwaukee Bucks. You have Drew Holiday, right? Um, who's really that big that big guy and Dante DiVincenzo when he's healthy again. And then, then it drops to Jeff Teague. <laughs> Jeff Teague, your Pat Connaughton. I'll take Derrick Rose and RJ Barrett over Pat Connaughton and, and Jeff Teague any day. And then, you know, the Nets, pretty top heavy with Harden and Kyrie. Uh, but then, you know, coming off the bench, what? You have... I don't know Bruce Brown like this. The, the in terms Timothee of exactly we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, but like coming off just or purely off of depth, I like this this next team a lot for especially looking at the guards. But even like in the front court, you know Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, that's and Taj Gibson. That's a really really solid center rotation, um, and I, I just think that the Knicks front office, you have to give them a lot of credit. They've constructed a very, very good dwell uh, or, or very, very good, very deep Knicks team that is ripe with young talent and veterans. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. And I think that this team has a pretty high ceiling as far as playoffs go. Um, but I actually do have a question for you about Obi Toppin. Where do you think he fits into this team? especially after last season kind of being a bust as a lottery pick. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would say that bust is a bit too harsh because, you know, one season and he, he, he dealt with some health injuries uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the season. So he didn't really get to see his full potential, but I think he's going to have a good bounce back season. He's a guy who is only going to improve his three point shot, which is really his biggest weakness. Um, and it's going to be just an athletic wing player who's going to help them on the defensive end, make big athletic plays, get the team fired up with a flashy dunk here and there. Um, and I like the, I, th- I think this is a good team for him because he doesn't have to do too much. You know, he doesn't have to be uh, LeBron and, and become a, a great playmaker. He doesn't have to take on a big scoring load. He just has to play his role and do it well. And then that'll be enough. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from there. So moving on a little bit to the next sort of next topic. So if Damian Lillard does become available and we see that either the Blazers decide that's not working out or 
he himself requests a trade, do you think that the Knicks would be willing to give up a lot of their young core, including maybe RJ Barrett, maybe even Julius Randle, to get Damian Lillard? That's a really tough question, honestly. Um, because here, here's the issue if you're going to make a trade of that caliber and give away you know, your entire team for a guy like Dame. You, you throw, imagine like the, the Knicks, they throw an RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, a bunch of other players, picks, the works for Dame. Then Dame comes to New York and it's just him and who? Like the team, the roster is depleted because you traded it all away. And I don't think, and I think then that lands Dame in a situation comparable to that of him in Portland, you know? Probably worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that, if you're looking at it just in terms of the short term, it's not a good move for either party. But if you're looking at it in terms of, okay, well, if Dame comes to New York and like there's no RJ Barrett there and no Mitchell Robinson, uh, et cetera, but he's able to recruit another star a la Kawhi and Paul George, then maybe that's when it becomes more, uh, more enticing for Dame and for the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks so they can you know win in the moment now and for Damon the Blazers to go young again Uh, but yeah I think on the surface it's not good because you want to have the depth and we we talk about depth as being so important but you know if other guys become available and you're able to pair them up with someone else that's when I think it becomes a little bit uh, a little bit better yeah I mean I, I don't know about the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George situation. I could see a, a one of the two, probably Paul George um, between those two. I, I, I wouldn't assume Kawhi Leonard would be a part of that. Or uh, even... I, never, I didn't mean like Kawhi specific. I just meant like, like Damian Lillard going to the Knicks with another star. Like yeah, you Paul just mean like recruiting. Okay, I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, no, I don't think Kawhi is leaving. No, I don't think either. I don't think either of them are leaving anytime soon, but – yeah, well, that's another topic for another time. But what are your expectations for this game? Like, where do you think their ceiling is? Where do you think their floor is? Honestly, I think that this could be a team that could be a four seed again, a four or five seed. Uh, if all things go go right and Kemba stays healthy, maybe one of the top teams would have to be injured. You know, maybe there would be an injury to a member of the Heat, member of the Bucks. I mean, we know the Nets are probably going to struggle with health just because of the, the personnel they have on the team. Um, but I could definitely see them making it up there. This team is a team that I think is going to be better in the regular season than in the postseason. Um, and I think you're only going to see guys like R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly improve. I think Mitchell Robinson coming back is going to be big as a defensive anchor and as a guy who's going to be able to catch those lobs. Um, and I think that Tom Thibodeau is just a great winning coach. Uh but, but what do you see for this team? What do you expect? Yeah, I, I would agree that a four seed is probably the most likely outcome for this team, which people are going to say that's, you know, that's just the same as they were last season, but it's actually not. The East has gotten a lot stronger, and if it stays healthy, that's absolutely an improvement from last season in a weekend Eastern Conference with, you know, the Nets being kind of low on talent. Um, the Heat definitely got better. The Bucks are just as good as they were last year. So you're seeing a better Eastern Conference. So if they were able to stay in the same seed, that's just a better outcome for them. 
Uh, where do I see their floor being? Honestly, just about there, maybe 60, like at low, the lowest. So like, I really have a lot of faith in this, this next team, which is great for the league because, you know, it's fun when the Knicks are good. Oh yeah, definitely. It's always fun. I love seeing that clip of the New York Knicks fans partying in the streets of New York after they won one playoff game. It was just, it was amazing. I can't, if the Knicks ever won the NBA championship, New York might be burned to the ground in the celebrations. <laughs> that is a definite possibility. Yeah, we'd be the fireworks would burn down the entire city. <laughs> yeah. Moving uh, on to a team that most people don't really talk about a lot right now, especially because they're kind of just out of any sort of picture for a very long time. Let's talk about the Rockets. So you have a guy in John Wall, and there's a few questions surrounding him. So for one, do you keep him for his veteran presence and just like, you know, just that guy to be there? Or do you just ship him out because you, you can get, you know, maybe a few good picks for him and he doesn't really fit their timeline? Honestly, I think that the Rockets should look at shopping around John Wall. I just don't think that he fits on this team. I think the health issues are a big concern, obviously. And maybe if you can't, if you can't even trade him, Maybe a buyout would be something they might look into. I don't know whether that's realistic or not, but maybe because a lot of teams in this league could use a a good solid guard like John Wall. He's not the all-star he used to be, but he's still very solid. And I think he had a very, a pretty good comeback season after coming back from so many injuries last season or uh, a few seasons ago. Yeah. So what do you think would be the type of teams to be looking for John Wall? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, a team that's, that obviously needs an athletic point guard who can't really shoot the ball that well um, and a good playmaker. I can't really think of teams off the top of my head. The team I was thinking about, like, uh, before today was the Boston Celtics. But, you know, they obviously signed Schroeder, so I, I doubt that they would want to. I mean, he could still fit on that team and send Schroeder to the bench as a sixth man. We obviously know he can thrive in that role. Um, and John Wall is certainly an upgrade from Dennis Schroeder. Um, oh, I'd also like to mention that John Wall will be making $50 million next season. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. So I don't. they might honestly just have to bite the bullet and keep him because... You can't buy out that contract. Yeah, no way in hell. You're not buying that out now that $50 million, And I don't know what team is really going to take that, you know? What yeah. team is going to want wants a $50 million John Wall at this point in his career? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree that there's no way you can shop around John Wall. You have to bite it for two years. And then once you're done with John Wall, you're done with John Wall. Say goodbye. Um, At that point, you can just have your young guys. But I don't see a world where there's any team in this league that says we need John Wall for $50 million. (laughs) It is just crazy. It's it's unbelievable. Um, And I think that while he can provide – some value just as a veteran on this team you have a bunch of young guards on this team um and Wall's a guy who's been around you know he's hit big shots in the playoffs before he's been to the playoffs many times battled against lebron in the east for many seasons and so he's a guy who can really mentor your young guys and make sure they're developing right and they can learn a lot from them and i think that's a pretty underrated aspect uh like we saw this in um we saw this in OKC with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the steps that he made as a player. 
and even in, uh, even in Phoenix to a lesser extent with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So I think that John Wall, while not being as great as CP3, still can provide a lot of value as a veteran mentor. Um, but I wanted to talk about some of that young talent that is on this team. So we all know that the Rockets drafted Jalen Green with the number two overall pick. And so far, you know, he's looked really, really good in the summer league. So what, what have you made of Jalen Green in the summer league so far? Uh, yeah, I think, honestly, we can say he had the best game of any summer league player being that he was so efficient in that one game. I think he was 50% from the field, something like 9 of 18 from the field, or maybe it was 8 of 16 from the field. I'm forgetting. But he had, I think, 23 points around there. Um, I don't know the exact numbers. But it was a very solid game, which is really promising for this team, um, especially with young talent like uh, Kevin Porter Jr. This is going to be a crazy scoring duo. Oh, yeah. They're going to be lighting up the stat sheet every night. And um, just talking about Jalen Green, I think that we saw a lot of his potential as just an explosive scorer. We saw him scoring in a variety of ways, you know, driving to the baskets, step back threes, pull up jumpers sidesteps like he's got it all his offensive game is already so developed that I think he's just going to come into the league just averaging 18 to 20 points I could definitely see that happening he is just so explosive as a scorer and it doesn't take much for him to catch fire quick and you see you pair him alongside Kevin Porter Jr. and young guys like Josh Christopher uh, Alperen uh, Shagun I finally learned how to pronounce his name uh, Christian Wood, who had a great season last year, was in the running for most improved player. Jay Sean Tate, uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. Hunter, can this team make the play-in or the, even the playoffs? Like, do you think that could be their ceiling? No. No? No. I love this team. Um, and I love Christian Wood. Like, I really am high on his, his value as a player. I think he is – uh, the young unicorn of the league. He is the Anthony Davis, not the, to the extent of Anthony Davis, obviously, but he is that kind of guy. He's going to be the difference maker in a lot of games because he's going to make some really, like, a really annoying matchups for teams that don't have guys who are that big that can guard the perimeter. Um, so I think this team is really promising for the future, but I don't see a world where they're making the playoffs. I think that young teams, especially like this one, have a hard time pacing themselves for the regular season, aside from the fact that they're just not talented enough to be getting there. I honestly disagree. I think that this is a team we could see in the play-in um, for sure. I would not be surprised at all if this team ended out as a nine seed um, and, and battled into, into the playoffs through the play-in. I think that we're looking at a weekend West with all these injuries, you know, Jamal Murray out, Kawhi out for who knows how long. And a team that like Portland could lose Dame. That's a very real possibility. And I think we're just looking at an overall weekend Western conference. And when you have a team with this much young talent, and if they decide to keep John wall with the veteran presence of John wall, this team could be very fiery and competitive and win a lot of close games and compete and be energetic because they're so young. I could definitely see this team in the playoffs as an eighth seed or even a seventh seed. I think that's their ceiling, a seventh seed. Um, but also I wouldn't be surprised if they made a lottery. So I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I 
thinking about the West, I think of the teams like the Pelicans and the Grizzlies as the ones to be more in that seven, eight seed position. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't think I can see this team in the same ballpark as those two teams, honestly. I mean, honestly, I think that like, I think Kevin Porter Jr. is also going to make another big jump this season. Like we saw how much he, he improved and just what he showed for, from us or for us last season, he looked like a baby James Harden. And I think he's only going to get better. So I think pairing him with an explosive score and Jalen Green and an already a near all-star type talent in Christian Wood, and then the depth on this roster, um, I think that they could give a team that made some moves backwards, like the Pelicans, and a team that's good but like very beatable in the Grizzlies a run for their money and, and could make the playoffs over them. Oh, also don't forget about the Timberwolves. And I know – they're kind of a joke. I'm going to forget about them. The past season. <laughs> I'm forgetting about the Timberwolves. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, no, I think the Timberwolves could be in a similar position. And I think they could end up in a seven to eight seed playing type of type of spot. I look at this team and I – like, the one thing I'll say about the Timberwolves is they were better than people gave them credit for because when D'Lo, Katz, and Anthony Edwards are all healthy, they were actually an above 500 team. Um, but I just don't know. I think that there's way more talent on this team. I like, you know, I know I like Steven Salas more as a coach. And I think that I, I, if I were to pick between the Rockets and the Timberwolves as a sort of upset playoff pick, I would definitely lean with the Rockets. I, I'm pretty high on them. And I think I, I really do think they're going to make the playoffs or at least mm. the play in. All right. That's that's interesting. So going more towards the summer league, I know we talked a lot about the uh, off season, but the summer league has been going on. We're three games into it for most teams. So what are your general thoughts on the summer league and also a specific player? I was thinking of Sharif Cooper for the Hawks. You know, the summer league, it's been pretty exciting. Like a lot of the games have been very competitive. It's good to have the summer league back after missing it. You don't realize how much you miss it. I will say this. I think, uh, and, and I'll get to Sharif Cooper in a sec. I don't really put too much stock into the summer league because the results can be a little misleading. If you judged, if you based everything based off of summer league results, you would think that Kyle Kuzma and Kevin Knox were going to be in a battle for MVP and that Trey Young was going to be complete bust because he sucked in the summer league. So I don't really give it too much credence. Obviously it's nice to see how players do and, you know, maybe get a little bit of a barometer for how they're going to be in the league, but I don't really give it that much weight. And just briefly on Sharif Cooper, I think it was great to see him play today uh, for the Hawks. He put on a great performance, shot like five for eight from three, and that's from a guy who people say can't shoot. So I guess he dispelled those rumors, I guess, if we're going to give Summer League some weight. And he hit the game winner. So I guess the Hawks, you know, Team already f- ripe with uh, young talent. The rich just get richer, I guess. Yeah, what do you think of Jello's 16 points in 16 minutes for the Hornets? You know, I think <laughs> I'm seeing the next coming of Reggie Miller with uh, with, <laughs> with Leangelo Ball. Uh, no, in all seriousness, though, I think that he – I just don't know. Like, that's the thing. Summer League is such a weird batch of competition, like, of, of guys you're competing against because you're competing against young guys – but also guys like Michael Beasley and Kenneth Fareed, who are on the Blazers' summer league roster for some reason. Wait, are they actually? 
They are, yeah. Wait, what the hell? I didn't even realize that. Weird. Yeah, I, I, didn't realize, no, I didn't realize no. veterans could play in the summer league. That's a oh, real can, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? It's so weird. <laughs> and so you're going up against such a weird mix of competitors that it's just hard to gauge what a player is going to be like in the league. So it's good to see Jello like getting some run, uh, but I don't know. I, I have to see more from him, at least in like uh, the preseason or something like that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think that summer league is going to have much of an impact. I do think it tells you what guys kind of have like what in their game, like you kind of said with uh, Sharif Cooper a little bit, and we also talked about with Jalen Green is it tells you like what guys have in their bag. Like you see for the first time, because you don't really focus on the collegiate level, what guys are really capable of in the sense that, you know, you see their moves. You're like, oh, okay. So he has this in his repertoire. He can use this in an NBA game, which not all those moves necessarily translate because you're playing against higher competition, but you do see what they can provide. That's a fair, that's a fair point. And I guess that is true. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm, there are some things for certain, like, yes, I am fairly certain that Jalen Green will be able to hit step back threes in the league. Like he just looks so confident and that move looks so refined. I have no doubt that he's going to be, that move is going to translate to the higher competition in the league, but it's, it's bigger questions. Like is Jello going to be able to like play this well against, you know, grown men in the in the nba no idea so i'll just chalk that up as a big question mark and we keep talking about the summer league as we progress but i just want to move on uh to just some a couple of general nba questions before we talk about the olympics and then wrap up so in your opinion who enters this season as the definitive favorites uh if you can name one team Mm, if i can name one team as the favorite I'm the pillow Laker bias, uh, Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I agree. I think that because I just think the Brooklyn Nets, aside from the fact that they have a, a core of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, which are a much younger and lethal version. Like I'm just saying, they're they're more lethal for sure than Russ, LeBron, and AD in every sense, and they fit together definitely better on paper. Um, as long as these guys stay healthy and the Lakers stay healthy, I think the Nets have the edge a little bit. Yeah, I I agree. I think that just look at it from every angle, and the Nets have to be the favorites. Um, And conversely, who do you think enters this season as the weakest team, the team most likely to finish with the worst record? Worst record of any team. I think we're probably looking at uh, the Golden State Warriors. They've really... (laughs) Um, they really don't have it anymore. I mean, look, they're giving extensions to guys like Stephen Curry for $250 million for four years. That's a lot to pay a guy who's on the decline of his career. And you're going to see that he's, he's not going to break the scoring record for threes. He's just not going to break that record. He's just going to hit a cap (laughs) right now. He'll never score another three pointer. That's just, I'm telling you right now. (laughs) No, but, uh, for real, I think you're probably going to look at a team like the Magic. The Orlando Magic is the, the, the absolute L of the season. Um, maybe the – no, it can't be the Raptors because the Raptors still have Pascal Siakam um, and Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. Um, so I think – yeah, I think you're definitely looking at either the Magic for the Eastern Conference 
or for the Western Conference, the Thunder again, maybe the Kings, but even the Kings have talent. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I think the Spurs, the Spurs are tanking. They got rid of DeMar DeRozan and he was a big reason that they had what they had. So, I mean, I think you could see a team probably, I'm going to say the Spurs or the Thunder. Fair enough. I guess we'll have to see how that pans out. I think maybe, for you. I'll probably say maybe the Magic, Thunder, or the Pistons. I think that the Spurs just have winning in their DNA. And as long as Pop is the coach, I don't think the Spurs will ever finish with the worst record, no matter who's on their team. Um, so maybe that's just a bit of, of Pop bias or something like that. But those, we could start on the team and they'd, they'd have at least uh, a 2,500 record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pop would make us into solid 3 and D players. <laughs> no, I think just uh, not even 3 and D, just just three, but without the three. You know, we can't yeah. defend guys who are uh, full, you know, men, 6'1", 6'2". Even that's too much for us. No, so yeah. I think we'll be we'll just be three players, but I suck shooting threes. So I'll just be a guy on the floor doing something. No, we'll be like – because – I think you could probably defend, you know, like you'll be the defender. I'll be the three-point shooter. Uh, oh, so we're three and D together. Yeah, we're three and D. <laughs> you have to play us on the floor at the same time. That's how it works. <laughs> All right. So moving into the last topic, let's get into a little bit of the Olympics. You know, the Olympic basketball is finally over and the medals are going to go gold to Team USA Silver for France and Australia wins bronze. I believe beating out Italy. Uh, I think they beat Slovenia. I think was it Slovenia? I thought maybe Italy. You could be right. I'm not 100 percent sure. I didn't really pay attention to the bronze medal match. I, I'm pretty sure the bronze medal game was a blowout. Uh, oh yeah, in Australia versus Italy, um, and yeah. I believe Slovenia didn't even get the chance to play for a medal. But let me look that up just to make sure. I don't want to be incorrect here. Okay. Well. While you talk about that, or while you look that up, I just want to say, I just want to give us credit for being right, finally. we Neither of us overreacted about the USA uh, Olympic basketball team losing in the exhibition game, or even losing to France. You know, we were, we held steadfast that we're going to win the gold, and, you know, we did. That's what ended up happening. So, probably I'd like to correct myself. You were right. It was Slovenia. For some reason, I thought it was Italy. Nice. Two for two on... Uh, no, actually, that's my first right thing. One for one. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, one for 25. Yeah, and all the predictions, one for 25 in all seriousness. But, um, yeah, I'm probably about one for 25 as well. Yeah, uh, we'll be better next season, though. You know, we'll step it up. Uh, but, yeah, I just want to talk really quickly about France because, you know, people were talking about Slovenia as a team to meet the USA in the gold medal match, but it was France who beat out Luka Doncic's uh, Slovenian le- uh, basketball team. What do you, what did you think of France France's run in this tournament? Um, and who do you think stood out for you on this team? I think France had a great great run, and I just like to say like congratulations to this team. They absolutely deserved everything they got. Um, and I want to say the number one guy for this team who I actually thought played way better than he does in the NBA is Rudy Gobert. He absolutely looked like a monster out there on the floor. Even his muscles looked big, bigger out there for some reason oh, yeah. in the Olympics. <laughs> but no, I, I really think this showed you what kind of system makes him thrive because 
you look at Rudy Gobert in the NBA today and you say, yeah, he's an all-star, maybe for sure. He's a you know perennial all-star. We call him now. Sometimes you're like, yeah, Alan, he sh- if he should have been an all-star, but he's definitely an incredible defensive player. He looked like p- a potential best center in the league. Like that, w- that looked like his potential when he was playing in these Olympics. He absolutely dominated every every aspect of competition. And I think that's just because the system that France put him in made him thrive, which I think, honestly, the Jazz need to look at what France did and say, holy crap, we can unlock something here. Oh, yeah. Rudy Gobert looked like a a completely different player. He was so dominant on both ends of the floor. Um, I think that you're totally right. You can attribute that to France's system. Also, maybe there has to be something to be said about the FIBA rules, maybe the increased physicality, the, you know, easing of goaltending rules, something like that, maybe contributing. But overall, I think Rudy Gobert was definitely the standout player. Also credit to Evan Fournier, though. He was a certified bucket in these Olympics. Every single game, he just was pulling up from three and and cashing it in or hitting a tough mid-range shot or getting to the rack. So props to France for making it to the gold medal game and condolences to Luca for not winning a single medal. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I really was high on Luca in Slovenia this year, but you know, it is what it is. And I'm sure he'll be back in four years looking for maybe a, a silver medal, honestly, but I think that would be his goal. I mean, obviously his goal would be gold, but I think realistically silver is where they'd be. Um, yeah. I mean, at least this is what you could say to Luca. You know, it's only up from here. Like you, next time you either get a medal and that's an improvement, or you don't and you stay the same. So <laughs> you can only improve. Yep. Uh, and I would like to also congratulate Australia on the bronze. This is their first Olympic basketball medal in history, so that's great for them. And who do you think really stood out for them? I definitely have to say Patty Mills. You know, he was balling out for them. People joke about Australia, Patty Mills being like one of the best players of all time. And I believe it. In that um, bronze medal match against Slovenia, this man dropped 42 points. um, And he just went crazy. Uh, So you just have to give him a lot of props. There's a lot of talent on this team. Joe Ingles, Matisse Thibel, Aaron Baines. A lot of great players. But I think Patty Mills was definitely the standout. And who knows? If if he plays like this on the Nets – the Nets are going to win the championship easily, easily. I'm not sure if you heard, but Kevin Durant was joking about that to his USA teammates, basically telling them to watch out because Patty Mills is about to drop 40 points on their head in the NBA. <laughs> the league is over if that happens. The league is officially <laughs> Yeah, the Nets starting big four. Uh, Katie, Kyrie, James Harden, and Patty Mills for a combined 150 points per game. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Looking yeah, but uh, I also also like to talk about these FIBA rules. Somebody who took complete advantage of these FIBA rules was Draymond Green for this USA team. He is such an intelligent player. He knows the game really well, and he fully took advantage of these FIBA goaltending rules. Every time a basketball didn't go directly in the basket, he'd swat it out directly off of the backboard or the rim. And it was kind of funny to watch because you're like, whoa, that's illegal. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's not illegal. This is FIBA. Yeah, it was definitely strange to see that, you know. You're like, hold on, that the ref, are you not going to call that? And you're like, oh, shoot, we're in the Olympics. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy to see how high 
Draymond's basketball IQ is to be able to like completely shift the way he plays the game depending on the rules. That just shows how talented and intelligent a player Draymond Green really is. Yeah, absolutely. And who do you think was the best player for this team? Uh, for the Team USA team? Yeah. Uh, I think unequivocally, we have to say it was Kevin Durant. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think there's even a discussion to be had. Every single game, he was balling out. He heated up and scored buckets from anywhere. Um, nobody could guard him. He had, what, 29 points in the gold medal game. You know, other players like Tatum, Booker, Dame, they had their moments here and there. But JaVale. <laughs> yeah, in the, like, two minutes, JaVale got, he, he was good. Uh, <laughs> but KD was good throughout the Olympics. Every single minute he was on the floor, he was the best player on the floor, um, except maybe, you know, that, that one game where Ricky Rubio went off. He might have been better on that night. But KD was – no, nah, I take it back. KD was the best player in the entire Olympics and on this USA team, no discussion. Yeah, absolutely. KD – is going to go down in history as potentially the best uh, USA team player ever. Like he's going to be up there with Melo and Kobe. Do you think that that those are that that's a fair thing to say? Now, is he the best team USA player, or do Melo and Kobe have it over him? Well, I think if you look at like an overall like player, I'd probably give it to KD. But if you look at per Olympics they played in. I'd probably give it to Melo and then Kobe because Melo and Kobe both only played in three Olympics, whereas KD played in four. So like per like Olympic, if you were to like divide it by how many Olympics they played in, Kobe and Melo have the edge. But just uh, as a whole. As, as a player, I'm saying, I'm giving it to Kevin Durant. I'm saying Kevin Durant is now the, the goat of the USA Olympic basketball team. I think that's a fair thing to say. And um, I think, if we made that a tweet, he would definitely like it on one of his burner accounts. <laughs> on, on his burner account, and then he's accidentally going to be on his main account. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. should just to get some interaction. But uh, with that, I think this is a good place to call it. Um, thank you all so much for listening. This was a great episode. And uh, until next week, take care, everybody. Bye.